Let's give Justin and the band a hand for a job well done. Graduates, we are proud of you. I'm going to preach to you and preach to everybody else. But we are very proud of you guys. You know, when you hear the phrase, when all is said and done, and that was the common phrase when I was growing up, it, it does, uh, it implies finality. Like in the next week, uh, probably for you seniors, it's already said and done. But for those behind you, the report cards come in, grades come in. And when all is said and done, we hope that we're not repeating the same grade again, correct? Even though I enjoyed 10th grade, I'm not sure I would have enjoyed it the second and the third time. Uh, but there's a finality about what's fixing to happen. In sports, when the, when the final gun is sounded, when, the, uh, when the, the referee says it's over, it's over. The score is what it is. And this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to close out our study on this wonderful little book. As we talk about a bigger thing than even report cards and even scores at ball games, when it's all said and done for you and me uh, in uh, the game of life. And the first thing I want to tell you, it's not a pretty thing, but it is a very important thing. This life will come to an end, okay? Now, you go, well, I'm 18, I'm fixing to graduate. There's no way my life should come to an end for a long time. And I pray that with all my heart, and I hope that with all my heart for all of you. I, I hope most of you live 100 more years. I, I'll be happy if I live 20, but uh, if you live 100 more years, that, that'd be fantastic. But here's the bottom line. If you live 100 more years, at some point, your life will come to an end. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Paul kicks this off, and he says this uh, to us. He says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Paul is an older man now. He's in the, the infamous Mamertine prison. It's a dungeon uh, under the streets of Rome. This is the second time he's been in prison. It's probably about A.D. 66, about 33 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. This is Paul's last letter in the Bible. And this is uh, probably his last days here on this earth. He knows it's about over. He's going to stand trial before Nero, the infamous uh, emperor or one of his associates. Tradition tells us he did that, and then he literally lost his head. He was beheaded uh, for being a Christian and supposedly for insurrection against the government. And Paul knew this. He used an interesting phrase. He says, I, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Now, how many of you offered a drink offering this week? Good, because if you had raised your hands, I would have said you were probably a liar. Uh, a drink offering is not a common thing. I mean, you, you don't go, well, we went to church this morning, we took the Lord's Supper, and we did a drink offering. Uh, it was something that the Jewish people did, and it was something in ancient heathen practices that was done. The, the way the Jewish people did it is they would take a, a cup of red wine, and when they were wanting to honor God, either they would pour that wine on the, the lamb that had been killed and was going to be burned up on the altar as a sacrifice to God. They would pour that wine as an offering or a gift to God. Or if they didn't have a lamb, they would pour that red wine on the altar and the, the red wine representing the blood of the lamb, the sacrifice. And it was their way of giving something valuable, this valuable drink, back to God. Now, by the way, if you... If you were to pour a Coke offering out today and you were to pour it out on an altar and then light it, that's gone, isn't it? I mean, there's no, there's no getting that back at any point. And Paul said here, he said, I'm gone. 
He said, like a, like a drink offering poured on the altar, I am fixing to die. Now, I want to tell you again, uh, I'm, not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to be uh, old-timey and, and scream and holler and, and bring fear to you, but I want to bring reality to you. Even you young people, death is a part of life, and, and your, your life will end at some point. I remember hearing years ago, and, and I'm sure this varies a little bit, but in our world, in our world around the globe, every second about two people die. About two people die. So that means in one minute, about 120 people will die around the world. And before this service is over, from when it started uh, at 11, about 7,200 people will die. Before the day is over, 172,000 people will die. And before the year is over, in this year, give or take a few hundred thousand or thousand, over 63 million people will die at some point. You will die and I will die. Paul's been dead 2,000 years from now. It's an important thing to think about as you think about your life. And the thing is, is that we don't only die, but the Bible says after that, after we die, that we will stand before God. We will give an account of ourselves for how we live. Now, this is very, 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 very important. Again, in verse 6, he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I'm not going to read verse 8 now, but we'll look at it more later. In verse 8, he, he basically says, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to stand before God, and God's going to give me a crown of righteousness. God's going to reward me for how I have lived here on this earth. Now, you look on the screen or in your Bible, you see that word departure. It's time for my departure. This biblical word departure literally is where we get our English word analysis from. And the biblical word departure had two meanings. One, it meant to loose something or to set something free. And you think about it, it's kind of a neat concept. Paul was in prison. He's fixing to die, uh, get his head chopped off. And he looked at death not as something he was afraid of. He said, hey, I'm fixing to be set free. Man, I'm fixing to walk into the presence of God. I'm going to be free from a lot of the things I've struggled with here on this earth. But that word departure or analysis also had the, the idea of a revealing. It was the picture of taking a rope and, and unbraiding it strand after strand after strand and revealing it. Folks, in Hebrews 9.27 in the New Testament, it says man is, is destined to die once. You are destined to die, I'm destined to die. And after that, to face the judgment. In other words, here's what God says. And this is so important. In fact, I think these are the things that ought to shape how you do life, that we will die and we will stand before God. The catchy part is, is we just don't know when either one of those things are going to happen for us, okay? Stephen Covey is a writer, is a professor. He wrote a great book several years ago called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of the habits he lists to people who are successful is that they begin with the end in mind. In other words, they don't say, I want to build a building, and then they start building, and then later on go, gee, I wonder what I want it to look like. They know what they want it to look like before they start building. The problem is many of us are doing life, and, and we don't have a clue how we want our lives to look like. We don't live with the reality that someday that we will die, that we will stand before God. It's a great thing to start on May the 20th, 2012, with the end in mind that someday we will die and that we will stand before God. I want to tell you, it will help you do life much, 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 much better today. And here's what I want to tell you this morning. How you and I 
can not fear what lies ahead. In fact, we can, like Paul, we can anticipate it with a positive expectancy. And that's this, man, live great today so you can face God with confidence. Young people, I wish so much when I was your age, I would have got a hold of these principles. That these aren't principles for old, overweight men. Or these aren't principles for, for gray-haired women. These are principles that the younger you get them, the better off that you will be. When you get, the, when you get it in your mind that you're going to face God someday. And, and listen, we are writing our own script. Okay? You and I are writing the report God will read for for someday. When you stand before God, I stand before God. We can't say, well, my mama and my daddy and my... No, 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 no. God's going to say, you've written your own life story. Let's review that. And, And the way that you and I will do life that brings no fear with what's to come as we decide day today to live life in a great way. I get an a email from Amazon, probably a thousand of you do, regularly about the, the best-selling books of the week or the month. And I got this week, I have no idea what this book is about. I'm not recommending it. But the title jumped out to me. It says, How Will You Measure Your Life? Title of a book. How Will You Measure Your Life? Hey, that, that's a great title. It may be a horrible book may not have any pictures. I don't know anything about it. But that's a great title for a book, isn't it? How will you measure your life? I want to give you, I want to give you three ways this morning that if you will do life these ways, you'll live life great. You'll be able to walk into heaven someday proudly with a smile on your face, and you'll meet God with confidence. Here's the first thing. Know Christ truly. Do you this morning, honestly, do you really and truly know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? No question, as Paul was withering away in this dungeon, one thing that was not on his mind, boy, when I get my head chopped off, am I going to heaven or hell? Man, he knew with all his heart that he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Young people, do you know without a shadow of a doubt that if today was your day, that you're going to heaven. Not so young that lies behind and beyond. Do you know that? Why, preacher, I don't plan on meeting God for a long time. The problem is, is that I may meet God this afternoon, and you may meet him tomorrow. We don't have a say in that. Are you ready to meet him? This is the fundamental first thing. How do you do life great? And, and, And meet God with boldness and joy Do you know him truly? Paul knew Jesus was his Lord and Savior. Here's the problem that we have done in a lot of churches today. Somebody walks down an aisle, and we shake your hand, and you join the church, and maybe even you pray to prayer. Now, listen, I believe in praying a prayer and asking Christ in your heart. But if it's not sincere, if it's just repeating words, well, I got baptized, preacher. That's wonderful. And you should get baptized, and it's great to join the church. But does Jesus really live in your life? Is he really your Lord and Savior? Some people will say, but you can't know that. You can't know that. First John chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now look at verse 13. Some people believe this is the reason John wrote the book. I wrote these things 
to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may guess and wonder the rest of your life if you have eternal life. That's not what it says, is it? It says so that you may know that you have eternal life. Friend, God wants you to know this morning that you're a child of His. Do you know that? That's where it all begins. It's not where it all ends. It's where it all begins. Do you know that you truly belong to Christ? Here's the second thing to do in life great. Young people and everybody else, get that first one settled and then get on this second. Find out what God has you on earth for and go for it. Find out what God has you on this earth for and go for it. Let me just throw out a few things. God does not have you here to be everyone else's critic. God does not have you here to run people down. God does not have you here to destroy people. So we got that out of the way. Let's talk about the positives. In verse 1 and 2 of of this great chapter, chapter 4. Now I want you to listen to the intensity of these words. He says, in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, in view of his second coming and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Now, what if, what if I called Wayne in my office tomorrow and I said, Wayne, I got to talk to you. And I started out the conversation like this. Wayne, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the earth and of his second coming, I give you this charge. Would you listen? You would probably either faint or you would definitely sit up. That's pretty, Paul was intense though, wasn't he? He was a pretty intense dude. I give you this charge. Paul was sitting on the prison bars at that time. I don't know, scraping them with his cup or whatever. He was saying, and then he says, Timothy, look in verse 2. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. Tell people about Jesus Christ. And in verse 3 through 7, he continues that charge. Here's what he's saying to Timothy. Timothy, you belong to Jesus. You've settled that issue. You're truly his. Now, Timothy, God has gifted you. God has called you. He's given you the talents. You are to be a preacher. You are to be a pastor. Timothy, load your gun, and you spend the rest of your life. You go for it. You don't hold back. You serve me with all your heart. Apostle Paul, God called him to be a missionary to the non-Jewish people. And for 30 years, man, he ran at that goal with all his heart. Young people, listen to me. Find out what God wants you to do. You go to college, you go to trade school, you go to school, not just so you can say you have a degree. You go so you can get into something that you're passionate about, okay? And it's okay to change your major after the first semester or the first year. It gets a little more uncomfortable after year three and four when you're continuing to change your major. But since all of your parents are very rich, that would probably be okay too. Young people, look at me just a second. People my age, people 30, 40, 50, I'm 30. And older, let me tell you what one of their biggest heartaches is. Man, they're not doing what they're passionate about. Went to school, they got an education maybe, or they didn't go to school, and they've dreaded that, regretted that the rest of their life. They go to work every day, and they don't really like it. Here's the worst trap in that. They start making some money. 
And then they know they ought to be doing something else. They ought to be doing this or they ought to be doing that, but they're making money and they like, they like their car, they like their house, they like their toys, and, and they're trapped the rest of their life doing something and they know they ought to be doing something else. You start where you are and don't make that mistake. But my mama doesn't want me to do this. Your mama ain't going to be doing it the rest of her life. You are. Now, you who are not so young, Sometimes you have to shift gears. Sometimes you have to say, you know what, I'm 30, I'm 40, I'm 50. I, made a, I need to make a career move. I may have to go back to school. I may have to take a pay cut. But you know what? Find out what God has got you here for, and you do it with all your heart. There's a, there was a missionary doctor in Ethiopia for 60 years. Medical doctor, served there for 60 years. Loved the Ethiopian people. He had a bad toothache. If you ever had a bad toothache, you know, it controls your life. And so he had to be flown to another country to have some extensive dental work. He was off the field for four or five weeks. Here's what he told the dentist. We asked him, he said, if this happens again, what do I do? He said, you get on the plane, you come back over here for two months. Missionary said, I don't want to do that. Dennis made a joke, well, then pull, pull all your teeth and get false teeth. He had all of his teeth pulled and he got false teeth. So I don't want to waste my life coming back and forth to have to work on a, a tooth. It's going to cost me two months of my life. Well, folks, I love y'all, but I'm probably not going to get my teeth pulled for you. If I have to go to Houston for dental work, I'll be back. <laughs> With a big gold tooth, right? That's what I want. think I'm kidding. I'm really not. (laughs) You know what? That missionary knew what he was here on this earth for. Now, hey, your calling and your zone, it changes. It evolves. What it was when you were 22 and what it was when you were 62 may be different. But find out what God's got you here for. If it's to be a housewife, a doctor, a coach, a teacher, a pastor, a minister... Christians, we're all doing the same thing. We're all supposed to help people and point people to Jesus Christ no matter where we are. But find out what God has got you here for. And it's not primarily just to make a lot of money and to have a lot of nice toys. It's to make a difference for Jesus and others. You want to someday walk into the presence of God and God look at you and say, well done, then you've got to know him and you've got to find out what your passion is and what your calling is, and then you need to go for it with all your heart, okay? Here's the third thing that he says in this passage. Not only do we live for him, do do we live out our calling, but, man, we decide we're going to live for Jesus completely until the end. Let me even rephrase that. To live for Jesus completely until our end. Now, now I want to tell you this, young people and everybody else. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. So you don't say, oh, man, I got to burn out for God. No, but you, 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 you set your course and you say, I'm living for Jesus today and I'm going to dig in and I'm going to be living for him until he takes me on to heaven. Verse 7 was our memory verse for this month. How many of you, would someone stand and quote it? So humble, so humble. Okay, let's read it together. I have, read it with me. I have fought the good fight. 
What an unbelievable great verse this is. Let me just walk you through it. I have fought the good fight. Paul, and where Paul lived, the Olympic games and sporting events were very popular. And he's using athletic terms here. I fought the good fight. He's talking about an athletic event. He's talking about a boxer or a wrestler. He's saying, he's saying, man, when it comes to living for Jesus Christ, like a boxer or wrestler, I have strained, I have struggled, I have given it my very best. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. The race, the race for Paul and for all of us is staying true to the end. Paul says, I have stayed true. I have stayed true to the end. I have kept the faith. I believe clearly what he's saying there is he's saying, listen, I struggled. I had problems. But when I became a Christian, I have stayed dr- true to Jesus Christ my whole life. And now I'm fixing to die. And I can look myself into the, in the mirror, if there was a mirror in the prison there at the Gray Bar Hotel. And, and I can say with a clear conscience, I have done everything I could to live true for Jesus. Paul could hold up the Bible and could say, I played by the rules. I didn't do it my way. I did it God's way. Young people, let me tell you what happens a lot. If you're not a Christian, you need to become one this morning. But if you are, what happens? When you get older, things start competing for your time. And they're already competing for your time and your attention. And what's happened to people you know that are my age, a lot of them, who started strong for Christ, were coasting. Oh, we'll argue with you. We just don't really live for Christ. We're on cruise control. Man, I love cruise control in a vehicle. I, I love it. I mean, as soon as I hit a road that's halfway clear, cruise control. Tech drive. No, I'm just kidding. Man, cruise control is not meant for the Christian life. And so many people that I know and, and that you know it's going to happen to you if you're not careful. It's going to happen to us if we're not careful. We, we get, I, I've been there, done that. Somebody else's turn to serve. I, I know that. Paul said, man, to the very end, I've served God with all my heart. Brian Clary won the decathlon and the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. You know what the decathlon is? I won it in the 2004 Olympics. Some of you knew because you're laughing. Decathlon is, is uh, actually, it's, it's not one event, it's ten events. And he had trained for eight years. And going into the last 1,500-meter race, all he basically had to do was finish to win the decathlon to get the gold medal. He was so fired up. All he had to do was finish. And when he finished and got the gold medal, the reporters asked him, Brian, you knew you, you had it won. You didn't have to press. You didn't have to push. You knew how you had it won before that race started. Here's what he said. This is so classic. He said, I didn't even think about winning that thing until I was about 10 feet away from the finish line. He said, I've seen too many athletes and too many people start well and fall or falter before they finish and lose the race. 
He said, I didn't want to think that I had won it until I won it. I want to tell you something. I want to humble you and me this morning. We're still alive, friend. The fight's still going on. Don't you think that you've won the prize at this point? You keep on keeping on. You live for Christ till the very end. There's a great saying in sports, we say to leave it on the field. That means that you, you give it all you have while you're in the game. Paul, listen, as Paul got ready to die, he didn't say, oh man, last five years I coasted. I didn't read my Bible like I used to. I didn't pray like I used to. I didn't go to church like I used to. Paul didn't say that. Paul could say, man, I fought the good fight. I've lived for Christ till the very end. Leave it on the field. And let me tell you, when you and I do these things, your time at the judgment seat will be wonderful. Have you ever thought about that? Have you, you know, as, even as a Christian, you're going to stand before God. And, and that's pretty scary, but Paul wasn't afraid of that time. Listen to what Paul says in verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but even to those people in Ruston who have longed for my appearing. The, the crown Paul's talking about, again, was an athletic crown. In the, the Olympic Games or the sporting games, if you won the event, they would give you, instead of a gold medal or a medal, they would have a wreath made out of probably oak leaves, and they would stick it on your head. And it was a tremendous honor in that day to walk around with your crown, your wreath, on your head. Paul said, hey, that's the athletic wreath is great, but it wears out, you know, in a short period of time. He said, God is going to put a crown on me that's going to last forever. Here's Paul sitting in a dungeon fixing to die. Now, folks, listen. All he probably owns are the nasty clothes on his back, maybe a few books somewhere else. He doesn't have fancy cars, boats, guns, house, tons of money. He doesn't have any money hardly. But yet he is smiling and saying, boy, when I die, are the rewards there waiting for me. Not because I'm special Paul, but because I stayed true to the end. Isn't that what you want? See, all of our money and all of our toys, and, and I'm not saying those things are bad, but they're going to blow off or, or burn off in the end. But a life lived great will be thoroughly rewarded. I want to read to you part of a little poem. It's not all of it. Many of you have heard it before. It's called The Dash. And we have a picture, I think, of a tombstone, which gives you kind of a representative of this. If you can see it, well, I don't see a dash on that, but you get the picture of the, the time of death and the time of birth. I know on my father's tombstone, there's a, there's a date he was born, and then there's a dash, and then there's the time he died. What's kind of creepy, my mother's still alive, and her name is on the tombstone, too, uh, with a date of birth. And I was very comfortable when I realized her date of death was not on there yet. But there's that dash. And, and the poem is this. It says, I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on his tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that the first came the date of his birth. And he spoke of the following date with tears. 
But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that he spent alive on earth. And now only those who loved him know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So thinking about this long and hard, are there things that you need to change? For you never know how much time is left. You could be at dash mid-range. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they would say about how you spent your dash? Paul was. And we can be too. We'll make the right choices from this point on. Let's pray. If you're a Christian, I would ask you right now to dig deep in your heart and decide what you need to do to use your dash well. If you're not a Christian or you're unsure, I want you to pray with me right where you're seated and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you're the Son of God who died and who arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. I ask you this morning to save me. May I have your attention just for a second? In a moment, we're going to stand. And when we do, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads as, as Justin sings and plays. But I want you to respond to Christ. Maybe this morning you, you asked Jesus into your heart. Are you ready to do that? Will you come in a moment? Come and talk to a minister. Let us help you with the greatest decision there is. Maybe you'd like to join our church family today. We'd love for you to do that. One way you can do that is, is by coming in a moment. There'll be ministers down here. We'll help you do that. But every Christian in here, here's my challenge to you. Where you're standing, praying at the altar, praying with a minister, will you say to God, God, with your help. Young people, you started today. God, with your help, I'm going to spend my dash in a great way for you. Let's stand, just bow your heads. As God leads you this morning, you respond to Him. We're waiting on you down front.